we go again, feeling ready to begin. Listen up, push play, and plug your headphones in. Another draft has come to pass. Now build your deck, ascend the ranks, let Jeff and Sean pitch in. Yeah, just let us pitch in. Help you out. That's why we're here. Yeah, yeah, shout. Let me hear you shout. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Magic Arena Drafting Club. I'm Jeff. With me, as always, is Sean. Hi, Sean. How you doing? I'm doing good. And this week, we have a special guest, Corey. Welcome, Corey. That's me. Hello. Hi. Hi. Great to be on. I actually mentioned your podcast on one of our previous ones. I actually went back trying to listen to old ones to find it so I could tell you the exact number. But uh, it was uh, Believe in Magic the Gathering, Draft and Draft, and I was super, super impressed by the amount of effort and uh, production you put into it. It's not something we see on a lot of Magic the Gathering podcasts. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I've been digging into your podcast, just trying to find the reference because my ego could certainly use a, <laughs> a pump up. So I appreciate uh, the, the love you gave to me. I'll find it. <laughs> looking for it, but don't worry. You, you don't have to tell me because the more I search, the more, you know, the analytics go up. So well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that was the whole point, I think, right? It's like the weirdest version of Where's Waldo. <laughs> so I, is, go ahead. No, please. I started listening too, and uh, um, I love it. I think you're hilarious. I think the, the concepts you do and the way you take a look at magic is fantastic. It's, it's a breath of fresh air in the community. And uh, one of the things that Jeff and I love to do is, is pump other people up and, and get other people that are in the community to, to kind of either get recognized or if they already are recognized, just to kind of, um, I don't know, give energy back to that same space. So it's really a pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I, when I started the podcast, I, I started with the knowledge of a couple things. Number one, it was going to be just myself. So I had to figure out how is it that I'm going to create a podcast to, you know, do something that was fun and light and energetic. Cause I wanted it to be like that. There's, there's so many great podcasts out there. You know, I'm an avid listener of some podcasts you all have mentioned before, you know, limited level ups, Lords limited, limited resources. And I know that I learned so much from them, but I can never do that, that level that they're at, you know, that requires tons of grand Prix grinding and, lots of real life experience at high level play. And while I don't have that, what I do have is the ability to create an environment that's a little bit fun, a little bit zany, and a little bit different. And I, I appreciate you guys mentioning that. And I just mentioned y'all on the podcast that I dropped today, which, you know, I think that's great. I think our community, being a community to support each other is so important, especially in these times. Absolutely well said. Yeah, you actually reminded me a little bit of the professor, uh, who's another person who got there, started out of Minneapolis, and that's the guy who does all those YouTube videos for Tolarian um, Community College. Um, oh yeah, I, I yeah, I watch the professor too. I, there's this one episode that just cracks me up, and anyone that's listening out there, you have to go and look it up. But it's his video of him googling like the magic equivalent of Clippy from Microsoft Office to help him build a Goblin Tarbelter deck. <laughs> <laughs> and it is the funniest thing. There's this one moment that has to do with uh, a foil Russian stomping ground. Just look it up if you haven't seen it. It's my, me and my friend like quote it to each other all the time. No spoilers, but enjoy. Okay, now I can tell by some of the cards you reference and stuff that you, it sounds like you've been playing for a bit. 
because yeah. uh, I've heard you men the way that you'll reference some old cards. Like I was yeah. just listening to you doing the uh, preview for Ikoria, and you would you'd say a card, but you'd say it as the it's it's the equivalent of a past card, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was hearing you mention cards that even went back further than some of the stuff I knew. So can you tell us about your history with Magic? Yeah, of course. Uh, I outline a lot of this in my storytelling in some of the early episodes, uh, but I'll give you a little brief. Uh, synopsis because i don't want to make you run 30 minutes that i've already <laughs> into this podcast just telling a small story uh but i i moved around a lot as a kid and i remember like going down the sports route and then eventually i just kind of phased out because my you know my folks couldn't donate enough to the booster club to get me on the on the football field so instead uh, i wandered randomly into a, a game shop just looking for you know when you're a kid Pokemon cards, but you go to the back room and there's tables laid out and there's so many games being played. And uh, I just remember eventually leaning into magic and I actually started uh, during the onslaught block. So my first set was actually Scourge. Uh, and then after that, eighth edition, and then perhaps one of the, the most horrifying new sets that a, a new player could be introduced to, which was Mirrodin. It okay. was crazy, insane, and ridiculous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you go into Dark Seal and get cards like Skull Clamp, and you're just completely outclassed. And it, it was crazy, but I was still hooked. And you know, I've been playing for over 15 years now, and I I, I adore the game. I have stories for, and I have all my best friends that come from the game. That's to me the most important part of Magic, and that's the stories I, I love to tell. Did you start playing draft, or <clears throat> were you in? Did you start playing in different ways? Good question. Uh, I do remember, if I could really dig deep, going to a random arcade that ran events, mm -hmm. and they and it was like, oh, they're playing Magic. I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, I, I've got a, a random zombie deck. I'll, I'll, I'll go play some yeah. Magic. And yeah, okay, sure, zombie deck and a field full of all this affinity for artifact cards. Great, great job, Corey. But they, they did a draft, and I remember drafting for the first time, mm -hmm. and Drafting in Triple Mirrodin and not knowing what you're doing, mm. you just get steamrolled so hard. <laughs> I remember walking away with the taste of like, I'm never going to do that again. And then I got to college and I found so many people from Magic. And I remember just walking in the dining room and saw people drafting the original Ravnica set. And I, was, and I started watching more and watching. And eventually they, they let me play it when it went to uh, Guild Pack. Mm -hmm. And then I just started to get hooked and I, I made a crew of friends that I still love and adore, you know, I, I've stayed with them and we've drafted and we've taken road trips and I've kind of been in and out of magic ever since whenever I have a chance to play. It's just, it, it's such a good mental engagement and it's so much more of a sociable environment that I, I really love to bring out in my podcast. So, you know, Sean and I, met each other in Minnesota and you mentioned that you're familiar with the LGSs in Minnesota and we actually played for a while and then quit I think right before you started because we quit right after the Urza block mm. like when my Tolarian Academies got banned I like you know rage quit but I, <laughs> that was part of it but I think part of it too was we discovered a game called EverQuest um, yeah and so uh but we only went to one LGS back in the day and it was this one that was in uh St. Louis Park that I believe is still there but it's just right around the corner of the like the same strip mall and yeah. I remember we went there and just got like worked by like 13 year olds and we did that we like never went back to, to get into the LGS we just played with each other and our friends you know 
Well, to, that kind of highlights the value of Magic the Gathering in itself is that it's not just one game. It's so many different games. The game that you play between you and your friend, you know, inside of a, like of a kitchen table compared to when you go to your local game store and then you go to your first PTQ, then you go to your Grand Prix and then you go online to Arena. All those games are, are so different and they feel tactilely. It's the same unified rule set, but you just get different levels and feels. And, I, and that's what's so valuable about the game too. So you had some, some pretty good takes um, from listening back. Um, I, I had, did not realize you put out an episode today. It's strange because I subscribed today and I didn't get that episode, but I'll have to look back. But um, anyway, going back to episode 16, just briefly, and the pork you paired and some of the takes you had, and, and even going back to when, right when Akoria came out, which I think was the 16th, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, you had some great takes there too, and and so just briefly, you don't have to dive too deep, but I, obviously you've been playing for a long time. So before a set comes out, how how do you break it down? Because Jeff and I struggle with this um, on how to do it on the podcast, and of course, there's so many people on how they do it, but I think you did it in a great way. And so so how did you come to that conclusion? Well, I would go to a couple different things I like to kind of bookmark. Uh, first off the major archetypes and in recent years the easiest way to do that is the signpost on commons the two color uh combinations but after we've seen like the ikoria spoiler being fully out there and you take a look at the multicolor uncommons mm -hmm. it's really easy to see that that just wasn't going to apply as much which can kind of lead to the idea of saying okay now we're really going into a different universe completely you have to figure out what exactly are going to be the proactive elements um, and that's with like looking at things like mutate and seeing all the cycling payoffs. That's when you figure out the things that are going to be the strongest traditional limited formats. You, you kind of look for, to me, the aggregate mean toughness compared to a lot of the damage spells and seeing how those interactions work. And I think when it comes to corsets, that's a pretty good take. I think in Ikoria, having a plan going into that plan, and even if it's not the best plan, i.e., you know, the cycling deck with two, three Zenith flares and just playing 12 lands, which is <laughs> egregious and ridiculous, uh, but doesn't really have, it doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen as much as uh, it, it did in weeks one and two, which to me is a godsend for this format that it's not like that anymore. <laughs> but I think, Agreed. Fine. yeah, right. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I think it's almost worse than the days of spider spawning. Because Spider Spawning was nigh unbeatable in Ikoria. If you like, really just got the deck humming well, yeah. it was crazy good. But I don't think that uh, it it's even close to like when the cycling deck gets ridiculous. Yeah. But I do think that the format has self-corrected enough now over time. You're not seeing as many one monocyclers going around, and the the strong payoffs are are not as as easily accessible. Mm -hmm. So I. I, I think, you know, just you know, going into the pre-release and back to your original question, because I am a big rambler when someone asks me a question. <laughs> uh, I, I, I try to look for what are the decks to build and how do you build those decks? And finding mm -hmm. those right, like routes to build a deck is great. I've, I've had a chance to do some of the big weekend drafts before, which, you know, I actually had the, the privilege to be in a similar event with uh, Sam Black once when we were going deep into, you know, diving into Theros and Born of the Gods and looking at, you know, the interactions and watching him work is actually just, it's next level. It's, it's amazing to see that guy working and figuring out how to work out a format. But one of the things that he really does is 
he analyzes, looks at the numbers and puts together some crazy things. He has a lot of big swings and misses, but when he figures it out, he hits big. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I, I agree that I thought that your uh, preview of Acoria was uh, pretty well on. You were talking back then about how important it was that these cyclers were colorless and that the even the one mana cyclers, you're just going to sometimes play off color. Uh, you're recognizing that as a just an overpowered mechanic. Um, did you, now you mentioned on the latest podcast as uh, well as when we talked um, that you've worked in the uh, uh, cruise ship industry. Would you ever play on the cruise ships? Would you meet people on the cruise ships who played? Um, not often. Sometimes every once in a while you run into somebody that knows the game, or you can tell they know the game, yeah. or you can see it, someone actually laying it out. I, I got a couple people to bind on Commander with me, so we would play some Commander on the ship, yes. which was awesome. Uh, that being said, I did in fact meet Mark Rosewater once on the cruise ship. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. Sweet. Um, you Dude, know, we, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you sure. Sean and I have a connection to the cruise ship industry, which who knows, maybe you share this connection of this town. But um, Sean worked in an Alaskan town called Skagway, which was called the Disney World of Alaska. And it was the last stop on these cruise ships that would do the Alaskan route. Usually these cruise ships would stop at like five, six places. And the last place was always Skagway. And it was just a little (laughs) town that only existed because of cruise ships. And we'd get like three massive cruise ships come in every day. I say we because I eventually followed Sean and worked up there a couple seasons as well as we and we just worked restaurants to the people who would come off the cruise ships every day. Yeah, uh, I can relate to that. And it's very funny that you call it the uh, the Disney of Alaska because I was on the Disney ship when we were in Skagway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you've been to Skagway? Mm-hmm. That's yep, crazy. it is. Yeah, it's got you know, all the things that a, a growing budding port town can use, everything within walking distance and yeah. lots of retail you can recommend to people, but it is absolutely stunning. Uh, I, I love going to Alaska. I spent most of my years working for Disney in the Caribbean mm. and having uh, a change of climate was awesome. <laughs> and I come from the cold, so I love the cold and I love like chiller climates. Yeah, it's an amazing place for sure. But you couldn't complain about the Caribbean. Come on, that must have been pretty amazing too. Caribbean was great. Yeah. After being there for, you know, five years, the different ports become different backyards eventually. Yeah. You, just, yeah. you know what it is. And I am also quite the sweater. And when it's quite <laughs> hot, it is, it is gross. And sometimes in my job, I was forced to dress like a pirate. And those pirates <laughs> wear very heavy garments sometimes. And it oh. is hard to manage when you're doing... Crazy big dance moves on stage. So life is real. All right. I'm sorry if I'm getting inappropriate, but being dressed like a pirate on a cruise ship, do you get like groups of women like in their 40s all on their ladies trip together, like hitting on you and stuff like that? Is that like a frequent thing that happens to a person dressing up like a pirate on a cruise ship? Um, I would say overwhelmingly. There's a no comment coming. <laughs> It's mostly families, but that's right, Disney. That's right, Disney. Yeah, like having a having worked on Disney ships, it's mostly families, and I would have the most fun just like messing with the kids. Like I would go <laughs> right. up and as a, as a pirate, and I'd, and I'd be like, "Hey, what you have there?" 
And it, it's like, it's a sword. I'm like, let me see your sword. And I take the sword and I'd be like, oh, it's a very nice sword. It's like one of the plastic ones that they get. Yeah, it's a very nice sword. It's got a sharp edge. And I'm like, I plastic, like, ow, ooh. I'm like, this is a wonderful sidearm. And then I'll put it in my, like, in my sheath and I'll say, thank you very much. And I'll walk away. And the kid's just like, what? And then the parents like, go get them. And I'll, and I'll always, I'll run back and be like, you must be careful. They'd be pirates about it. And I'll walk, run away. And away. I love that. That's great. It all makes sense now. Everything makes sense now. Your podcast makes so much more sense now that I have that you in a pirate suit and working for Disney. That's fantastic. Have you been acting most of your life? Uh, yeah, I got my degree in uh, performing arts and I worked as an entertainment host and a cruise director on the cruise ships. And I've also been uh, in like modeling and talent agencies doing teaching. Mm -hmm. I just find that very similar to the magic community, people that when you get inside of a theatrical community, they embrace you and they care a lot about you. And those close knit interconnected communities are really quite important to me, which is why like the local game stores and those communities, I think that's just, that's key and paramount to, to match the gathering and moving forward, even though we don't know what it's going to look like in the next year. I still think, you know, supporting those people, those local game stores, the people that made the community, what it is, is just a paramount thing for us. Agreed. Yeah, going to my LGS is sometimes the only social activity I get that actually forces me to meet new people. Because, you know, I don't go to church. I don't have like a softball team that I play on every Wednesday night or whatever. What I do do, what I do do, <laughs> what I do do is... Um, <laughs> is um, Crack yourself up. Me and my, my son and I go to... Uh, Here's something smells stinky in here. Yeah. My son and I go to our LGS uh, usually every other Friday night to play limited. And, you know, we get there a little early and we stay a little late and we talk to people and we usually meet somebody new and and it's nice. Yeah, I, I agree. And I remember a couple times in recent LGSs that I visited before the crisis happened, I have met this really cool family and I outlined this in uh, I think my Theros Beyond Death uh, episode, but I, I met this this dad who was in his like 50s. And he talked about how his sons and him would just get a handful of cards and they'd always build decks. And like one guy had like the angel deck, one had the, uh, the demons, one had elves. And they just, they had these this tabletop feeling to it and they'd go to pre-releases and enjoy that together as a, as a family. And I, I adore that. I think that's so important. And, you know, like I try to keep some cards off the side, like, you know, the, the junker rares that yeah. are worth 10 cents or, or a dollar. If I see a kid that's just kind of in there, I'll just try to ship them some cards, you know, like they, they end up in the back of your binder or like crumpling away in, in your bag. And if I can find those kids, you know, just hand them off and let them enjoy group decks. Cause even the things that aren't worth dollars, like a fetch line are still worth something to someone else. Right. Well, speaking of cards here, guys, listen to this. Oh boy. Wait, is that actual paper magic? Is that still a thing? <laughs> yeah, so I, I got a box from my LGS, right? So I'm going to open a pack here, Corey, and you're going you're gonna to you're gonna decide. Tell us, tell us what our first pick is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right, let's, let's do it. I, I do love pick one pack ones. Okay, so uh, and I, I, let's take this slow roll this a little bit to, you know, let us actually talk about these cards a little bit, right? So yeah, first on. one is a uh, cavern whisperer and I'm just going to read these off. Sean knows normally I'm terrible at remembering names and reading stuff off, but let, since we're going to talk about these, let me read these off quick. It's a four and a black. It's a menace four, four. Um, 
but you can mutate it for four, a three and a black, and uh, whenever it mutates, each opponent discards a card. Where are we yeah, at on this one? I mean, it's a good card. Uh, it's nothing that I'd be excited to first pick or really kind of pick above five. It can get some work done, and I typically am not in for large mutex decks if I if I can because it's just too vulnerable to pretty strong removal that's in this format. But I'd still uh, I'd still take it like uh, above pick six if need be. Yeah, I like the body on it and the fact that it has menace comes in handy quite a bit. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think it goes in most black decks, but not as a premium card, more as just like a filler card. And you don't want too many of them since it is a little expensive. The only caveat with the black deck is you have to make sure that's not like the human shell because the black or white human shells are very good, and very prevalent. So you do have to kind of keep track of the things that you can mutate onto. And mm -hmm. if you're in black or white mutate things, you just have to keep your nose and realize how many things you have to actually mutate onto it. That's right, or else you might just have to play it vanilla. You may be stuck and you, you got nothing to put it on if there's no coil bug on the board or anything. Yeah, and I'm not a fan of playing a 4-4 four, 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 five with, with Menace in this format. All right, so next card, we got Cathartic Reunion. One colorless, one red sorcery. As an additional cost to this spell, discard two cards, and you get to draw three cards. Now, this is an old school card, right? Yep. It was first printed in Kaladesh, I believe. Okay, so not that old. So, what, like three years or something like that? Uh, Kaladesh was in 2016. So, okay. about like three or four years, yeah. So, what do you think of this card in this format? Uh, I, I actually like it. Uh, I, I wouldn't take it too high, but it tends to be a pretty good role player, uh, especially when you're in the cycling deck, because even if you are running like 14, 13 lands, you can still end up with having hands of like two or three lands that you want to get rid of to get your juice. And that's kind of the pull of cycling, right? You cycle away cards to draw other cards, but that's also making your ratio of drawing lands a little bit worse. And having like a cathartic reunion in that build can help you get fuel to a little bit more juice. And it also does the job quite well in uh, blue-red spells, which is yeah. a very good deck. And if you have a, uh, a Lutri, you're praying to cast Lutri with this card because you do not have to discard more cards. Yeah, I think that's its natural home is the blue-red spells, and I think that fits well in cycling as well. And that's right on the money. Yeah, two good cards so far. All right, number three, Excavation Mole. Two colorless and a green for a trample. 3-3, three, three. when it enters the battlefield, put the top three cards of your library in your graveyard. This one actually has room for a um, flavor text. It makes molehills out of mountains. <laughs> yeah, the, the flavor text team has been truly on point ever since War of the Spark. Yeah. And yeah, and, and like, if you just look at one of my, I love Throne of Eldraine. Let's look at some of the flavor text from Throne and whoever's been making it has been knocking <laughs> Well done. Well done. Uh, being said, it's a pretty replacement level three drop. Yeah, I agree. And Sean hates it when it mills his good card. Oh, I don't like that card. I, unless you're in black, black green, uh, it's fine. Recursion, fine. Otherwise, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I know how you feel. Uh, and, and that's one of those things that every once in a while I have to get over as well. When you play a self-mill card and you see your good spells going, it, it feels bad, but you also have to kind of just think like it, it could be any random three cards that you're milling and it's still, it's still getting you towards something, but you really do want to have some value in the yard to get something off of it. Corpse turn, you would be a pretty good comfortable thing to go back up into it. So yeah, I think there's, I think there's some value to it, but I'm not into it. 
if you manage to put together the string of words that can convince Sean that everything was random and it didn't matter that those were the cards that were milled, bless you, because I've been trying to convince him for years and I can't seem to put it together in the right string of words. Uh, uh-uh, I'm not convinced. It's, it's hard. It's hard to feel it because you, you see like, oh, there's the land I needed, right. there's the good piece of removal, and there's my bomb. And it, it's hard to get over the fact that they could have been any cards and you can't really count on it when you right. cast the excavation mole. Like, the only I, I, I get what you're feeling. The only way I know how to say it is just imagine that those were on the bottom of your deck. But I know that doesn't quite make sense either. That doesn't quite work the way I'm describing it. No, when I'm in recursion, it's great. I love it. It's fine. I love. I want it to happen, right? Then, I'm, then I look forward to it. I, I personally just can't play that card unless I'm in recursion for that very reason. And I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm right in doing so. I just, I cannot because I'll go on tilt. I don't have the brain power. Next is Mutual Destruction for one black. It's a sorcery. This spell has flash as long as you control permanent with flash. That's a tech I'm, I keep having to remind myself of. <clears throat> I keep forgetting yeah. the card says that. Mm-hmm. As an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice a creature to start, destroy target creature. This has flavor text as well. Hunter and Hunted both died thinking they had outwitted the other. Waka waka. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, strictly better's bone splinters is wonderful. Uh, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna ask, have you ever been gotten yet by the the flash claws? Like they had a random uh, uh, lurking dead eye or cutting night bonder, and you just didn't see it coming. Did you get no? Got yeah, by that that's yet? that's exactly how I keep getting reminded that the card has that text. Is I'm like, how did they just flash that sorcery? In? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. It's it's okay if you're in the flash deck. It's great. I mean, actually, I, I, the flash deck is only okay with it. I think you just want to be blue, like black, red, uh, going wide with Forbidden Friendship and Whisper Squads to yeah. make this card really hum. I mean, the blue, red, uh, sorry, the blue, black flash deck has the unfortunate issue of not having too many resources on the board, even if you're like playing nice squad commandos. But it's still, it's still a good card, and I, I usually play one of in in most black decks. But if I'm black, red, I'm actively looking for it. Yeah, with the bug and the, and the commando, I, you hopefully have something to sacrifice. But you're right. I think that's that's a correct. All right. So where are we at so far, by the way? To, uh, we have Cathartic Reunion, Cavern Whisper, Excavation Mole, Mutual Destruction. What are we taking at the moment? Hopefully none of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Next card. Blister Spit Gremlin, one red uh, creature gremlin, uh, one and a tap to deals one damage to each opponent when you cast a non-creature spell untap blister spit gremlin it does have a uh, flavor text ah we have a critic that is orthian lava brink captain who said that episode 16. We, we, you, you talked about the blister split i did i did yeah. talk about it yeah. and i was not very enchanted with it then and i still am not now <laughs> okay. Yeah, that red blue spells deck, it's got its place, but you know, other than that, I don't I don't play it. I just don't like the fact that it costs one mana to do it. I mean, if it was just a tap, I could see it being way more useful, right? Right. It it it's just it's in a very unfortunate place that it compares very poorly to other cards that have done something similar to it. And yeah, I suppose if you're really dedicated to the spells deck, it could make some value to it, but I, I'm just not into this card. I'm off this card. All right. 
Next card is Coordinated Charge, four colorless and a white for an instant. Creatures you control get plus two, plus one until end of turn. It has Cycling two, and the flavor text is, uh, Out here, we're nothing but our training. A quote by Ethuk Coppercoat Mage. Great. Love it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Coordinated Charge is, is really... It's, it's, a, it's a good card. The fact that it's got Cycling is wonderful, and... Uh, obviously, black, white humans going wide wants it. Uh, you can even have some value in black, red if you've got some forbidden friendships and whisper squads going. Uh, and it can actually, if you have like a valiant rescuer, be a backup plan if you end up in the cycling deck and don't quite get there with, say, a Zenith Flare. Yeah. Or, you know, your, your flourishing foxes. It can still like finish the game and has an alternative cycling cost, but I, I don't want to pick these up till later in the pack. Agreed. It also can play in blue-white flyers, um, where just it can work out that way too. Sure, sure. Next, we have a capture sphere. It's three colorless and a blue flash enchant creature. When it enters the battlefield, tap enchanted creature. Enchanted creature does not untap. No flavor text on this one. None. Uh yeah, yeah, and that's that's fine. It's got a lot of text on it as it is. Uh, capture sphere is good. Uh, I I like having them in uh, control shells that are either blue, red spells, or uh, you know, pretty much anything that has like some blue. I'll I'll take one. And if you ever get to uh, play Karuga as companion, you definitely want your capture sphere. I was yeah. just gonna say that this is Karuga's yeah. best friend. Yeah, totally best friend for Karuga. Agreed. All right. Next cat card is uh, Sean and mine's favorite, the flycatcher giraffid. Sean seems to think it's a giraffe. It's not. It's an antelope lizard. When it enters the battlefield, uh, put your choice of vigilance or reach counter on it. Flavor text. Poachers used to har use the harvested tongues to snare pests, plum caves, and scale tall buildings. Oh, plum caves. That's like a verb. You plumb a cave. Okay. Hmm. Flycatcher Giraffid. You know, Mammoth Spider has been good in limited formats. It's not very good in this one. <laughs> even, yeah. even a Mammoth Spider with an alternative Vigilance option. The only time I would, I would like to maybe play this card is in the Vigilance deck, yes. which I think is very real. You have a certain number of alert heed bonders and the Mentor. But yeah. other than that, I'm not into this card. I can't Agreed. tell Greens. if... Our skill levels are all similar, or if we listen to similar stuff. But you're every time I flip over a card, I'm like, okay, if he doesn't say this, I'm going to mention this. And every time you're saying all the exact things, I'm thinking about these cards. So I agree. It's just it just goes in that Vigi package, and that's about it. Next, we got Raking Claws. Uh, one colorless, one red, instant. Target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Has cycling two. Yeah, I like Raking Claws. I have surprisingly cast it as a as a combat trick more than I thought I would because it just it lives in your hand and you can cycle it away and then if your opponent is tapping and is uh, tapping out and attacking in a certain way you can just really blow them out with the onboard math and it's great and then randomly you can kill people too so it's a great card yeah I liked it a lot it's, I've liked it in the spells deck quite a bit yeah, there's something that feels really good about cycling an instant or sort of your way, having your Lord Dracus or Blitz of the Thunder Raptor, and you've drawn a card and you've gotten further to your plan. You got it. It's really, really nice in that deck. When somebody attacks me with a, uh, what's that uh, reptilian reflection? It becomes like a, f 
five four trampler or something like that when somebody attacks me with one of those and has two open mana i'm always wondering if they have this card or not hmm. well the answer is probably yes because the game is <laughs> next card humble naturalist what so we were on alias v's stream the other day and we talked her into drafting three of these things and it didn't end up being a very good deck so sorry alias for wasting your gems humble naturalist one colorless one green it's a 1-3 tap to add one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast a creature spell. When you say we, do you, do you mean you? I was on a humble naturalist kick those two days. I yeah, thought it was were. maybe one of the best green commons. Now I realize oh. there are no good green commons. Oh, <laughs> Jeff, it, it, it was really fun to listen to your journey from Alias Feed and drafting that deck. And then the next episode, it's like, oh man, this is the worst <laughs> part ever. That was, it was fun to listen to. Changes, yeah, last... these, these opinions can change quickly in magic, you know? We get... so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's what's interesting about, I think, Limited in particular, is that the format changes and evolves with time. And I think this is an example of a format that really has changed a lot over time. That's very true. I love it for that, too. I think it'll keep on changing as well. I don't think we're there yet. I think, I think the mutate will become popular and powerful again. Well, we'll see. I don't want to get too futuristic. Being said, there is a time to take Humble Naturalist and there is a time to play green, but let's just hope that this pack gives us a better option. Yeah. And the Humble Naturalist has the Porca Parrot in the background, uh, which uh, the Porca Parrot is a regular on your show, so I hope the Humble Naturalist knows it's double timing on him here. All right, next well, we yeah. got... What's that? And so, you know, Porky Parrot's off having a, a really nice time with Glimmer Bell. So, you know, uh, it, it, it might not be on the episode for, episodes for a while, but it's having a good time. So earlier you mentioned sometimes casting Raking Claws. And here is our first uncommon. I think we have a card that goes with, well, and that's Sprite Dragon. One blue, one red, flying haste. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on Sprite Dragon. The flavor text is Size of a Pixie, Rage of a Hellkite. It's a one-one. You know what really gets me about this card? It's it's uh it's called Sprite Dragon and it's a fairy dragon type and just so close it, it, it really like throws me off my my loop sometimes. You know the creature selection in this set is kind of weird sometimes. Like why isn't the flycatcher a giraffe a giraffe? Why isn't this a sprite? Well, for me, like the the thing about this card is I don't look at this card as Sprite Dragon. I look at it as Dorit the perfect pet because oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's my problem too. Yeah, and, and what's really killer about this set is you have to memorize these card names almost twice. Yeah. I can so barely true. do it once, so. <laughs> I like this card, actually. I, I love this card in red-blue spells. The, I wouldn't, given a choice, I don't want to take it first. It, right. like, having to commit hard to blue-red at the top and then not being able to support it is kind of tough. Agreed. Yeah, this is a dream if you see it, like, Let's say you're picking red cards because they're just good, and then you see this like pick five. You're like, okay, all right, here we go. So or, maybe I'll do the spells deck. When it's been the best for me is when it's come packed to, you know, pick two, three, four, somewhere in there. It's just when you're already in the deck and then you're slamming this. Mm -hmm. Agree. All right. Next is lead the stampede. I'm very curious to hear what you say about this because this is another one where I've been hot and cold. I'm not even sure where I'm at right now. It's too. Colorless and a green for a sorcery. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal any number of creature cards among them and put them into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. I wish you could play this with Umori. You know, what a bummer. Yeah, right. the, only, the, the one deck I really want to play, leave the Stampede in, you can't play it in. Right. 
uh, I had a, had a draft the other day where my opponent was playing and I was like, we were like pretty parody on card advantage. And then he cast lead the stampede. I'm like, Oh no. And it resolved. And I was trying to see how it resolved and it resolved by him getting nothing. Oh. That's kind of how I feel about the card in itself. I, I, I just, I'm not in for a potential divination card that might not actually get you any cards. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm I not big on it. Have, you have to have a ton of creatures and you have to be in green. So you have to be a green deck with just a bunch of creatures and that just doesn't sound like a good place to be. Plus, I don't think you can take a turn off to, to get the creature back in green too often, right? Like, I don't know. No, I don't, I don't think so either. It's, it's sorcery speed potential like card advantage, but in order to really get value off of Lead the Stampede, I think you have to be running 18, 17 creatures. Yeah. And then you get to maybe count on it hitting to, like for two creatures once every three or four times. And then I, it, no, I'm no, no, thanks. No, thanks. And I think in the quadrant theory too, it's, it's one of those things where when you're ahead, it's great. And you know, but when you're at parity or behind, I don't, does it, is it really great? If you get to go get three creatures and you're behind, I'm still behind. <laughs> I, I would sure hope that there are a bunch of like cheap death touch creatures if I'm behind. Right. This is and a green. win. This is okay. a win more card that doesn't help you win more. That's right. <laughs> um, now I'm a little upset so far because uh, these new packs seem to pretty frequently have the showcase cards, which are the comic book versions, which I think are just gorgeous. And whether it's a common or whatever, I don't care. Every time I see one, I'm like, beautiful. I haven't gotten one yet, so I think I'm going to write Wizards of the Coast. Ask for a brand new pack. Hopefully we get one here. Come on. Void oh, yeah. Beckoner is our next one. This what was right. it? Void Beckoner. We got an uncommon. Oh. It's a six colorless, two black. Nightmare, horror, death touch. It's an eight, eight. And you can cycle it for two colorless and a black. And when you do put a death touch counter on a creature, you control. Well, it's really nice with Porky Parrot. Yes. <laughs> Even be yeah, reanim reanimator deck is great too. If you can cycle it away and reanimate it back to a five, that's not bad. That's kind of the one deck that I want to play it in most of the times. Yeah. Uh, it's it's an okay card. Again, nothing that I want on a first pick. So we're in a tough spot here, guys. I do still have one more card to flip over, and it's the rare. But what do we take at this point? We've kind of, I mean, we're, we've gotten a stinker, right? I, I'll try to recap the cards we thought were kind of okay, and you guys tell me where you're at. We got. Cavern Whisperer, Cathartic Reunion, Mutual Destruction, Capture Sphere, Raking Claws, Sprite Dragon, Void Beckner. That's tough. So for me, it's between the Capture Sphere and the Sprite, just, just because I'd probably take the Sprite and think that I'm going to wheel one of those other cards that you just mentioned. There was a lot of blue and red cards that you mentioned. Not a lot, but more than others. That's probably where I'd be. Yeah, I'd agree with the Capture Sphere. I could see an argument for the Raking Claws. It cycles and is potentially a trick. Um, and I, I mean, I guess I'd maybe... No, I'm not, no I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take the Humble Naturalist. I'm not that crazy. <laughs> Would you, if you're in a live draft, you just not take a card and pass the pack and just refuse no, the card? No, that's, that's actually not legal. And <laughs> anyway. All right, here we go. Our rare, come on, save us here. Ooh, Fiend Artisan. Two, black-green hybrid, creature, nightmare, mythic, fiend artisan gets plus one, plus one for each creature card in your graveyard, X, 
a hybrid a bleed green black mana and a tap for sacrifice another creature search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost x or less put it onto the battlefield and shuffle your library activate this ability only at the time you could cast a sorcery that's burned me by the way in the past i tried to do it as an instant can't do it well it's nice to see that you your paper pack had the highest value card in it that's right nice. bam is this, is this number one mm -hmm. it was sean's first card he opened as well sure we got we got lucky man i hear you nice yeah uh it's pretty easy fiend artisan and smile and pass to your opponent and make them feel bad about the bad pack that you have Okay, so let's talk about this card then. Let's dive into it a little bit. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to play with it, but what can we do with this card? Like, what are the shells we're trying to build? One thing I'm noticing is it can be black or green. You don't need to be in both. So what do you guys think? What are cards you're valuing higher now that you have this card? Not many. <laughs> like, it's just good in itself. It's just it, good. It's, it's, it's basically a Tarmogoyf. Like, you get, it, it gets bigger the more creatures you play. The only thing it really needs to combo with is playing other creatures. It, it just, it's just really, really good. And I don't think you need to work much more. And the fact that it's hybrid means you now have two different lanes that you can go down to, and you have, have so many decks open to you. Uh, if we're looking at maybe cards that could optimize that build a little bit, I suppose you could look at, say... Uh, you know, Night Squad Commando, but you pick those up really late on the wheel anyway, so yeah. it's kind of a kind of a wash. You're just really happy to have this card, and you're like, let's let's go, let's uh, let's run some uh, Birthing Pod and Limited. So, if there were two things I were going to focus on heavy, if I, I think you're right. I think that it's such a good card that you don't have to. But if I really wanted to, I would focus on creatures that cycle into my graveyard and recursion in case this dies yeah uh like a corpse turn would be i think pretty reasonable to take here i think and corpse turn is actually elevated a little bit by it and that, that stupid bring one human one non-human back from your graveyard goes up in value with a card like this too i think oh survivor's bond yeah even though you're plucking from the graveyard i still think i would do it yeah i sometimes in my green creature decks i'll, I'll like run a one-up on survivor's bond and i'd be pretty happy about it uh, yeah, I think I think you're in an exciting place. You got the highest level of EV in the set. You grin a little bit, you pass the pack, and you're saying, let's go. Yeah. Agreed. So sometimes I'll make the mistake of opening a bomb rare and then building around it too much. So do you think I'm making a mistake if I'm like, well, now I want to play a lot of self-mill cards. Now I want to really play an excavation mole. Now it's a playable card. Is that a trap in your opinion? Do you just put this in a deck that's already good and not try to build around it too much? I don't think you need to build around it too much just because of how generically good this card is in particular. But if we're talking about the tendency of taking a rare and building to it, yeah, sometimes you can kind of fall into a trap of taking your bomb rare and then you're just getting cut that color and it just does not become something that you can take. And yeah, it, it takes a lot, of, a lot of discipline over time to see that bomb rare and say, just not going to play it. It's just not a, a thing that we're going to be able to do. But the more you realize that playing to what is being passed to you and drafting the hard way as some other uh, limited content creators have coined in a term, I think the better your win rate does get over time. And you, you can play like your excavation moles and you can play your corpse turns. And I think you would still get some, some good equity off of the fiend artisan. And 
the thing is the, this card in particular is just it's so good it's, mm. you can go black green and go anywhere it's 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 wonderful so i think you've played a lot more live drafts than sean and i um and so you have a lot more experience of drafting the hard way can you talk about some tricks of or not tricks but some tech of doing live drafts for example how much attention do you pay to what you're passing the person in your first pack let's say there's two good red cards one good black card you take the black card are you really solidified it in your head like well they're going to be in red it, like how much do you pay attention to stuff like that it it comes over over time is like with that kind of mentality the thing that you do have to like when you're in paper magic you're paying attention to your signals but i'm not as worried about what i'm passing as what I think is going to be tabled around to me. Looking down into the cards are gonna be taken and when I see this pack again, what might come around? So if I have a, a pack that has say like, you know, th three very good black cards, I will have some expectation that all those black cards are probably going to be gone. So I want to start looking at what can I do to potentially diversify? But I don't, I don't stay in the mentality of oh, I'm passing a good black card, so pack two, I'm going to be cut from it, because that's just not a race that the person to my left is going to win. Because I have two packs, and they're and if I'm going to go hard into this color, they're just not going to get those picks. So their deck is going to end up being worse, and they should also be looking for the open lane. And if they choose to just you know tinge their draft off of what they think their second card is then they're going to be to the detriment in pack two but the thing is we're probably going to get rewarded in pack three anyway when we go back to passing to our lefts uh it changes to also depending on where you're drafting drafting in your lgs is different than say drafting day two of a grand prix they're very different feels and you have different uh, demographics and people that are playing and different emotions that people have into taking these cards and there's some evaluation that you should have in there and there's some level of paying attention to how those signals happen and playing to who's at the table, but mostly you should really be focusing on your own game and what you're doing. Now that you've been jumping on arena and playing some of the live draft cues that are there, do you have any initial opinions since you've done so many live drafts of what these draft cues are like you know because you, you said it can depend on the and the environment what is the arena environment like at first blush to you so the icoria set is actually the first time i'm actually drafting online ever i've always been a mac user and for those out there who also have the feelings of i'm a mac user i haven't been able to get on moto or, or arena you know where i'm at so i've had a chance to really dig into the live cues and i'm very grateful that i had a chance to you know i borrow my friend's pc and play on it and it's been wonderful to have this outlet, but I would say that the levels in limited, they go up sharply once you get to platinum, when you go platinum to diamond, that's when you really start to feel the skill level coming into play. And it really emulates more of a, a Grand Prix draft because people, they're not hard cutting to their rares. They're drafting the hard way. They're trying to figure out how to make the best deck and not yeah. just draft the best cards. Dude, you're speaking my language right now, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm in the diamond doldrums right now. And I, I thought I was a mythic player. And maybe I'm just not. Now that we have all these moto players coming over, maybe I just have to accept the fact that I'm a good player, but not a great player. Because I am just going 50% in diamond time after time. And playing against these other mythic players, is uh, it's a real learning experience. These guys are good, man. 
Well, the one thing to know is if your win rate is actually 50%, that's actually a good place to be in Diamond. It's good and you're going to eventually crack through to Mythic if you're a 50% player because if you stay disciplined and you keep looking at the right decks and you draft the hard way and you figure out what's being passed to you, you're going to make it up there. And every once in a while you have a drought and you put up like, you know, a one, two deck or a couple, two, threes that you think should have at least had five wins on them. But being able to look at the deck and step back and say, you know what, I should have done better with that deck and that's okay because then you keep out from that results-oriented thinking. And then you can feel good about the deck that you drafted and not the result that you had. You'll get to Mythic if you keep grinding at it and you keep trying and you keep doing all the things that you know you're supposed to do. It just sometimes takes time. I need to play that over and over every morning when I wake up, just that last (laughs) one minute. You're a little motivational. I really wish I had some of my audio cues and I would have played something really inspirational behind it and it would have sounded even better. Some Rocky music. We can do that in editing. Don't, don't, we'll get there. All right, post, get on yeah. top of it. <laughs> so how did, how did you, sorry, Jeff, I got no, this one though. Yeah, you got it. I got this one. Uh, how, how did you come to, so I, I do a lot of recording musically and stuff in my own time, but how did you come to, to that part of it too? Because obviously you're doing your own editing, or at least I think you are. I am, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I, I guess your question is how did I get to like making my own podcast? Yeah, like how did you come to that and how did you, did you were you self-taught? Did you, what, is it part of what your education was? Uh, I'm mostly self-taught. Uh, I remember when I was doing the end of my theater degree, I had to learn how to iMovie and then kind of the natural evolution from there is figuring out how can you cut up your own audio clips. And mm-hmm. the thing about Mac programs is they're made really intuitively. And if you just spend a little bit of time and shunt off your frustration, like you can, you know, probably figure it out. And having been a person that had to play through Avison Restored, I know how to shunt my frustration <laughs> off. So, so it, it, it was a little bit of time to learn, but uh, I was kind of transitioning from one cruise line job to another. And I had a really strong passion to get back into the magic community because those are the people that I love and I wanted to embrace that once more. So I wanted to be a little bit creative and engage that sense in magic. And that's kind of like where uh, the whole podcast itself started up. Cool. Do you um, have knowledge of magic lore a bit? A little bit. I mean, I'm not, I'm like a little sprinkling of a Vorthos, but I'm like way more a spike. Wait, what did you call that? A Vorth? A what? A Vorthos. What is that? So have you heard of like terms like, uh, like Johnny and Timmy and Spike? Yes. Yeah, so is it, but actually I'd love to review this for our fans. Is Timmy the one that likes to make big creatures? Yes. So Timmy is... Timmy loves the effect of like big, like big emotional, like, ah, I played the big monster, big play. That's you, you know, Sean. Sean's a Timmy. Sean likes the uh, 2020 Trampler. Great. Love it. 2020 Tramplers are great. I mean, if you ever get to Colossification, your opponent's uh, creature for the last blocker, you feel like a winner. All right. So what am I, if I just want to opt every turn and just annoy my opponent and draw a million cards until I can put them in like a kismet balance lockdown where just nobody can do anything anymore. So that just make me a jerk or is there a name for that too? No, I'd say you're more of a, of a, a Johnny kind of uh, mixed with a spike. No, no person's like any one of these things. Okay. People are usually a combination ingredient of it, like a, like a pie graph, but I'd say you're, drawing cards is and optimizing plays is more of a spike where like the kismet lockdown is a little bit more of like a like a, a johnny combo player a little bit where you're trying to 
put together a, a win through a series of cards and a series of interactions that just can't be answered. Okay, and so a Vorthos is somebody who gets into magic because they really love the lore? Yeah, Vorthos are the people that enjoy the lore, the flavor, the cards the universe are creating. I, I've, I realize over time I've actually become more of a, of a Vorthos. I, I don't read the novels, but, I, but you can tell the story from the cards, and I think that's a really good new technology that the game has put into it in the last few years that make people feel a little bit more invested in the game. Take, for example, in Ikoria, You've got the three cards that all relate to uh, 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 Capture Sphere, Forbidden Friendship, and Cathartic Reunion. Like all those arts are the same dinosaur and human. And it's just really cool to see all like them. Like it's like, oh, they're Forbidden Friendship. And then the humans captured Sphere, his dino, and then they broke him out of the dino, and it's Cathartic Reunion. Like, that's, that's a really cool little, little touch. Yeah, it's, it's a nice story. It's a wonderful story. And, it, and it's told just by three cards and you can see it without having to read any novels that story's right there that's awesome yes i remember quite a bit of those in war of the spark too like when gideon sacrificed himself um in that whole storyline there were several cards that put all that together as well absolutely yeah that was a, another good example of that i didn't get to do much war of the spark because i was working on the cruise ship but it like listening to the content and looking at the cards and seeing like uh, you know the story arc of it like i hadn't seen a story arc so cool uh, like War of the Sparks since Mirrodin besieged into New Phyrexia or Mirrodin Pure. I thought that was, if anyone remembers, do you remember that, uh, Jeff or Sean? I do. I really love that little gimmick. It's like, we don't know what the third set is. Is it going to be Mirrodin Pure or is it going to be New Phyrexia? Again, just kind of figure out what was going to happen next. Like that, that was a really cool linchpin. So, I, uh, go ahead, Sean. I was uh, with War of the Spark. I, I always thought that the Skyship was this filled with a crystal ball and and like a funk just funk music always being played inside of it and, and slime foot as like kind of the the leader of the funk like just sitting back with a giant bass and kind of playing as every as the ship flew through the air sorry that's my own thing there but that's that's what i no, imagine no that's wonderful and i i totally see slime foot as a big party hound absolutely Maybe he's like up there hanging out with like uh, Judah, the like uh, Judith and all the Rakdos people, just having a complete rager. That's right. And I am somebody from Azorius telling you guys to turn it down because it's past ten o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's funny. All right. So, um, do you know where we're? I forget where we're returning in the fall. Is it Zendikar? Yep, Zendikar. What is Zendikar? Because I don't know. So where where are we going? So Zendikar is uh, a plane that's very much in tune with its lands. This is where we saw uh, the Manland cycle that had, you know, Celestial Colonnade and uh, it had uh, Wandering Fumeral and uh, I'm forgetting some of the most important ones right now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, every, col every color gets to turn something into it. And I'm guessing they're all themed, like maybe one gets First Strike, one gets Trample or something like that. Yeah, they get, they have, some of them have a little bit more to it, um, but the thing about Zenikar is that it's the exploration plane. So it's like the adventure and the Indiana Jones feel. Okay. But unfortunately, there was a big thing that kind of hung over Zenikar, and that was the Eldrazi, because the Eldrazi were actually on the plane of Zenikar when we first met them. So it went uh, Zenikar into Worldwake into Rise of Eldrazi, and then that became such the big important thing. So when we went back to Zenikar for the first time, it was called Battle for Zendikar, and the Eldrazi played a really big uh, factor into that set. Uh, I know that Mark Rosewater has said on his own podcast that he 
is looking forward to going back to Zendikar to go back to the adventuring feel. So okay. the, the first time we went to Zendikar, uh, we saw a lot of things like the like the quest enchantments, uh, where they build up quest counters to do you know a, a big effect, like Colony Heart Expedition. Uh, when you played three lands, you got to tutor for two lands and put them on the battlefield. Okay. Uh, you, you had one that was a seven-one haste trample that you sacrificed in a turn. I think that was Zektar Shrine Expedition. Uh, when we get go back to Zendikar, we can probably expect at least two truths. Number one is that they're going to lead more into the adventuring theme and the jungle and and kind of the feel of you know finding something. And, and adventuring and the other thing that we will undoubtedly see is we will see the return of land-based mechanics and i would not be surprised to see landfall coming back mm. and landfalls when you play a land some type of effect happens that's yeah. correct yeah it it's very infamous for its limited format and being perhaps the quickest fastest limited format ever created uh, because you had uh, Step Links, uh, zero one that landfalled. It got plus two, plus two. Played a GOP, which was a one one for one red. That when you landfalled, it got plus two, plus two. You combine that with also having the enemy fetches. It's also another thing that people remember it for. And World Wake, uh, Jason the Mind Sculptor. This that was my first Grand Prix experience, and it was crazy. It, now, it's a crazy format. Wasn't that the start of Planeswalkers? Because wasn't Jace one of the first? Do I have that right? No, it wasn't. Yeah, so Jace is one of the first Planeswalkers, but uh, Zendikar was not the first set with Planeswalkers. The first one that had Planeswalkers was a set called Lorwyn. Okay. And the original five were Garrick, Ajani, Jace, Chandra, and Liliana. All right, man. I've that is some, that's some knowledge right there. That's some knowledge right there. You're dropping it. It's a lot, a lot of basement magic. And fun, <laughs> fun fact, uh, the original planeswalkers were actually supposed to appear in future sites. And I think this is what uh, Mark Rosa was saying, but they couldn't fit it in. So that's why we actually see a little hint to planeswalkers on Tarmogoyf, a card that predated the planeswalkers. So when we mm -hmm. saw Tarmogoyf and the creature type included planeswalkers and tribal, uh. there was this really big kind of subtle hint that this was coming and it was going to be a big thing. But yeah, Zendikar Rising is going to come out this year. It'll be, it'll probably be a, a, a big land-based set with a venturing theme, but more importantly, I'm excited for the commander draft format. I cannot wait. Cannot yeah, that wait. should be cool. Cannot wait. It's going to be amazing. Especially for the LGS experience, I would assume. That, that, would, that sounds like a lot of fun to me. I know that when I go to my LGS, there's always a huge commander contingency, and it is a very social thing. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You already got your deck. You just know that you can always show up to the LGS and play with your friends. Yeah, I'm a big commander player uh, besides limited. And I, we actually had a couple LGSs run their version of a commander draft before, and it was a ton of fun. It was nice. a great draft experience. And if they can bring a little bit of that and refine what I saw, it's going to be something to remember. And I think for people who enjoy some of the magic lore, they're going to be able to fill in some of the blanks. For example, I want to see Cassia, who is the Cinderella equivalent in Eldraine. I need to see this card. It was hinted at. All throughout Eldraine, I need to see this card. It needs to come out this year. So what what does a uh, what does that what does a draft look like when you're so yeah so I mean we we obviously won't know till later this year, right. but uh, we did it with Dominaria, and Dominaria is famous for its uh, uh, legends in each pack, mm -hmm. 
and having historic. So what we did with the draft is when uh, you were opening your packs, it was six packs instead of three. Okay. You would take out your uh, one legendary card and you would set it face down in front of you. Uh, if you had two legendary uh, creatures, you could choose which one to put in front of you and you put that one in front. And then after you draft all of the cards, you then draft the commander. So you would pick up the six commanders that were set in front of you and then you would take one, but you also have the element of seeing the other commanders that are around your table. Amazing. So if you're looking to your left and your right, you can see the ones that are by you and you can maybe try to plan on, okay, I absolutely need to make sure that I have these colored commanders. And it's this extra level of intricacy and you're, you kind of plan to what you open, but also what opened next to you. And it was a really fun experience. I had a wonderful time with it and I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. Plus it'll give a chance for the secondary market to get some relief on some of the very expensive commander cards that are out there, like Teferi's Protection and probably some of these uh, new commander cards that are castable for free if you control your commander that just came out. Okay, well, if you're still in Minnesota when that happens, and Sean, if the travel restrictions do let up and you come home to visit some fam, you know, we all got to get together and draft this thing together. It sounds like a blast. Yeah, there's a good, ch there's a good chance I'll be back in July for a good a good month oh holy cow well, there you go um this was awesome uh can you uh please tell our listeners uh the best way to find you again i, I want to encourage everybody to check you out because i do think what i think is important is that every podcast that wants to be successful should find their niche and what they do better than anybody else and what i think you're doing better than any other podcast is the world building the creativity um the production that you're putting around it again i mentioned that you remind me a lot of the professor and that's that's what i see you building and i i think you're doing a really great thing and i hope to keep it up yeah I, I appreciate that and i give up for the professor who does it in video and in audio because i don't dare do it in video because i got a voice for radio but not a face for radio i'll tell you that much wait no scratch that reverse it anyway uh, <laughs> So uh, people can find me. Uh, I actually do a podcast for a company out in California uh, called Believe, spelled B-L-E-A-V. So you can search them uh, uh, up online or you can find me Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, anything else. But the podcast name is Believe in Magic the Gathering, spelled B-L-E-A-V. Uh, find us on the socials, uh, follow us, listen, uh, and it's a good time. We do kind of random, crazy, off-the-wall things. My co-host is a bear. He's like <laughs> the Chewbacca to my Han Solo. And it's uh, it's a fun time as we kind of create our own universe and talk about cards in a fun, casual way while, you know, having a chance to crack open a drink, have a cheers, and enjoy the uh, Unlucky Lounge. Yes. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we can be on yours soon as well. I know that's the first thing I thought of when I heard yours is like, man, I would really love to be on this thing. So hopefully we can make that happen. Absolutely. We, we would be very excited to open the doors for you. Sean, any other, any other last things? Um, no, I'm super appreciative of you coming on, taking the time to do it. I totally love your show too. I think it's fantastic. I think I put in like five or six episodes today, which is, it's not a, a common thing for me to do. Um, and I laughed. Um, I got some really good insight and, and it's easy for me to go back and like with my notebook and my pencil and, and, and like as a test taker and say, okay, how did he do on the set review here? Oh, and you did a fantastic job. So, you know, and obviously after talking to you today, you're just a great person. 
um, I think you bring a lot to the community and I, I really want you to continue too. I want you to keep going and, and making the best of what you're, what you're doing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And some of my favorite episodes are those where I tell stories like the first GP I went to or when I met Mark Rosewater or the day this swamp dried out, which is a crazy story. So, you know, anyone out there that's listening, don't just like listen into the newest stuff, like go back and check out the other things because they, they're, they're ageless. That's about telling the stories of people that you hang out with, the times that you will always remember. And that's what we're hoping to create with the podcast. And, you know, I, I gotta say, I appreciate the work that the two of you guys have put into, it's really wonderful to hear you back and forth and uh, your stuff with LSV was awesome. So y'all keep it up too. Thanks. His name is uh, Corey Enriquez. Uh, the podcast is uh, Believe in Magic the Gathering, Draft and Draft to check them out. It's great. And uh, thank you everybody and be good. Be good. Be awesome. <laughs>